This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. My sister and I have a running joke um, where I'll, you know, often mention someone in conversation. So, oh, so-and-so said such-and-such, or I'll go, my friend is doing, and she'll look at me with the face and the eyes that only a Ken and lawyer uh, can look at you with, and she'll say, is it a friend friend, or is it an internet friend? And she's saying that because she knows how, quote-unquote, online I am, um, how I spend time on Instagram and Twitter interacting with people. And I, you know, have met and consider some people on the internet my friend. Uh, There's some people that I've met in person as a result of knowing them from social media interactions. And there's some people that I haven't yet had the privilege of meeting in person. And yet we still talk on a frequent, regular basis. And when I say talk, I don't just mean tweeting back and forth or commenting on Instagram posts, but like messages and direct messages or even text messages, phone calls, Zoom calls. But there's just kind of this this running gag between my sister and I. Are they a friend friend or are they an internet friend? And I like to think that over time, that line between are they an internet friend or are they a friend friend kind of blurs and that it's not outside the realm of possibility that internet friends can become friend friends. Now, I'm saying this all because I think that there is a connection here to be made with the saints, which we're talking about during this Ave Explore series. You know, we have friends in the saints. And we haven't necessarily met these people. We don't necessarily uh, know them from our day-to-day lived reality, as in they've come over for dinner or we can go to their house. We know their stories. We have their pictures. We name our children after them. We name our parishes and church buildings and, and celebrate their feast days as if they're a birthday within the family. But yet there's still a connection, even though there is this this distance in the sense that, well, let's be frank, saints are dead and we are not, but, but there's there's also this deep intimacy that can still be formed, this friendship, taking them from just, oh, okay, well, they're, they're the idea of a friend because they're a saint and a friend friend. In the same way that internet friends can become real-life friends, today's guest is a friend friend that I met through the internet. And I promise I'll stop using that terminology starting now. Meg and I first interacted together um, through Instagram. You know, we would like each other's posts. And and then uh, I think I randomly added her as a friend on Facebook because somebody told me she was going to be driving through the city of Lake Charles at some point. Uh, And we became Facebook friends. And then we we started to get to know one another. She eventually uh, ended up actually staying with my family. Um, She spent a few days with us on her big driving tour, as as she usually does. Meg is known as the hobo for Christ. So she lives out of her car and kind of bounces around doing ministry around the world. Obviously, COVID has kind of put a, a little bit of a stop on that, but it providentially worked out. And she talks a little bit about that in today's episode um, because she's been working on a book about the saints. Because that's the other thing about Meg. She is an internet friend that became a friend friend. And in getting to know her and becoming a real life friend, I have learned she's got a knack, a gift. She is uh, incredibly talented at being able to bring the stories of the saints to life and help them become real friends for all of us. Known a little bit as the Saint Ninja on Instagram, 
Meg pretty much has a saint for any scenario or moment or experience. And they're not just the saints that we all know by name because of their popularity or because their books are really, really well-known and, and, and well-sold, but saints that you've probably never heard of. You'll hear about some of them in today's episode. Saints who have unique stories that are actually really remarkably relatable and comforting to know that you know these saints struggled in their marriage. This saint was kicked out of seminary. That saint had a drug problem. That, that saint drank too much. That saint had, had a really bad temper. Meg does a remarkably beautiful job of taking saints who might seem distant and bringing them into the realm of our lived reality, of our lives, and help them become our real-life friends. So I, I almost kind of feel like the joke between my sister and I needs to end. Meg was an internet friend that became a friend friend who helps me get to know the saints as real friends. And today she's going to do that for us in this episode. This is, of course, all part of our Ave Explorer series on the saints. You can find all of the excellent content that's been created, articles and videos, other podcast episodes, Facebook Live interviews with incredible people like Bonnie Ingstrom, the mother of the little boy who was healed, the intercession of Venerable Fulton Sheen, and Lisa and Kevin Cotter, and they talk about relics and the relics that they have in their home. All of this is available on AveMariaPress.com. The link is down in the show notes. You can sign up and get the emails straight to your inbox every week. You can subscribe to this podcast and get all of the episodes right to your phone from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. What we're creating about the saints is really excellent. And I think this might be one of my favorite episodes of the season, a conversation with my real-life, real-good friend, Meg Hunter-Kilmer, who's going to help all of us become real friends with real saints who have real stories. Well, Meg, thanks for coming back on Ave Explorers. My pleasure. I'm super excited to be chatting with you, Katie. Yeah. So the first time we had you on the show, I, I made you talk about Mary. <laughs> I kind of like, <laughs> and I remember the email exchange. It was, I'm more interested in talking about Mary as she lived rather than Mary as she is, you know, now as we know her and we have a relationship with her. And then you said in that email, and if you remember it, uh, that you really just want to talk about the saints. <laughs> and so now here we are. I knew eventually we'd do a saints um, episode of some sort. You are known as the Saint Ninja. Tell us a little bit about why you love to write about, to talk about, um, to tell the stories of the saints. You know, I wasn't always into the saints. It was kind of something where I was like, this is one of those Catholic things that I don't think is blasphemy, but it's not my thing. <laughs> and then I heard somebody tell a story of a saint and it was interesting mm -hmm. and it was about Jesus and that's not always the way that we tell the stories of the saints right mm -hmm. we don't always we don't always deal with their real brokenness and their struggle and their passions and we kind of like do these highlights that don't in any way capture the imagination and they don't lead the heart back into love of Jesus and that's not who the saints are mm -hmm. and so I started realizing just how powerful it can be to tell somebody a story and say hey like you're struggling with miscarriage. Let me talk to you about Blessed Frederick Ozanam, who was a father whose wife miscarried and how he struggled with that, you know? Or, and, and to see all of the ways that people's faces just lit up in hearing like, oh, this struggle, this suffering, this temptation, this addiction, this isn't something that the Lord is sitting there waiting for me to get over it mm -hmm. so that he can work on making me holy. This is the way that he's making me holy. And I have all of these friends in heaven who've had this same experience of being too loud or too abrasive or 
of having suffered abuse at the hands of the church. I mean, all of these things, like if you are dealing with it, I can really probably find you a saint who's gone through that and just the hope it gives people. Yeah. And the, the real longing for holiness that you see awakened in people when they see the way that Jesus has loved somebody in those circumstances and they know that he's doing the same for them. Well, I love how you just jumped straight to the heart of it. The stories <laughs> of the saints are not stories of just nice little cookie cutter figures. And it's like, oh, slap their picture on your wall, name your kids after them. But like, these were men and women who lived in the trenches of life, messy lives, but yet Jesus was still at the front of their life. So you, you get into this, right? You love talking about the saints. Was there, was there a saint that hooked you in, in the beginning? Like who was, whose story was it? You know, I've always... There was never one particular story. The book that really got me was Modern Saints by Anne Ball. Mm. She was the first person I was reading who was telling these stories like they were people who were worth knowing, as opposed to, like, Francis snuggled a bunny and Therese liked flowers. And you're like, <laughs> okay. Um, and, and who was dealing with the complexities of life and the tempers and all of these things. Um, I, I was friends with Francis Xavier and Damien of Molokai and Josephine Bakita. Um, but yeah, I think it, it all kind of came in sort of an overwhelming way. Like I'd had these sort of vague connections to saints. And then I started reading this book and I started seeing the power of these stories. And it was just one person after another, after another, after another, where I was like, oh my gosh, look at the hope that there is in my life and in the lives of these people who feel abandoned. Mm -hmm. and, and here I am and I can say like, you have an older brother, you have an older sister. And it's so beautiful because I do a lot of saint matchmaking um, and sometimes, you know, people will tell me their stories and I'll be like, oh my gosh, here's a perfect saint. And like, I can make all of the connections. And sometimes they tell me their story and I'm like, I don't know why, but I want to give you this one. And I start telling the story of this saint and their jaws drop mm -hmm. and they just start to cry. And I'm like, oh man. And sometimes it's because there's a real connection that I didn't see. And sometimes like, there's no reason for it. Like, mm -hmm. They just love that saint. And it's so beautiful to me to remember that these are real people, right? Mm -hmm. Like these are real people in heaven who actually care about you. Like Katie, St. Barnabas loves me. Like he loves me <laughs> so much. And I don't know if he's that interested in you, you know, like, like he loves you in the sense that you're part of the body of Christ, but he's like, like he loves me. And to, to be able to see the connection made between these saints who've been sitting up there in the beatific vision from the moment of your conception just so eager to know you and so mm -hmm. looking forward to having a relationship with you and being able to start that a little bit here on earth, like just such a, such a gift. Yeah. Well, it's, you said two things in that, that you've, you're friends with them, right. And you like to match make people into these friendships. I, I'm struck by the idea that when we get to heaven, do we get to hang out with these people? Like, like, you know, like oh, it's going to yes. be a party. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. I think about this, like, all the time, right? Like, I mean, obviously I think about like running into Jesus' arms and sobbing and like not letting go. And I think about the Blessed Mother. Um, but, I, but I think about canonized saints and also like people who are just amazing. Like, mm -hmm. like I don't know if C.S. Lewis and I are going to be friends, but I'm going to sit and listen to him talk, you know? Like, and, and Chesterton, like I'm going to, I don't know that he and I are going to be friends, but Francis and I are going to be friends, his wife, you mm -hmm. know, and like, we're going to sit next to each other and he's going to be pontificating about something and she's going to roll her eyes and I'm going to like, you know, say a little something. And then, yeah, it's just amazing to me also the ones who, 
who are walking alongside us. You know, St. Leopold Mandic is a really good friend of mine. He was um, a Croatian Capuchin Franciscan, and all he wanted was to work for the end of the Great Schism. He wanted to reunite the East and the West, and he got sent to Italy and told to hear confessions. And he spent decades longing to do this work that he was never able to do. And he, he struggled and he suffered, but he knew that God was with him in that. And mm-hmm. he knew that the Lord was loving him in that. And just to be able to have this saint friend who lived these profoundly unfulfilled desires, but was happy mm-hmm. in the heart of Christ. And I just, I feel like I'm going to get to heaven and little Leopold Mondich, he was four foot five. He's going to be there and he's going to look at me. He's be like, oh honey, it was hard. Yeah. Like, it was hard. And I'm going to be like, it was. It was so hard. He's going to be like, but man, we did it, didn't we? Mm-hmm. You know, and like knowing that it's not a, it's not a you did it. It's a we did it. Like mm-hmm. he, through his intercession and through his witness, like he and I together are living this, this experience in my life of these various unfulfilled desires. And what a blessing that is. You're mentioning saints that I think a lot of our listeners probably don't know. And that's, that's your gift, right? The Saint Ninja of Instagram and Twitter. Um, you, you bring to the fore the stories of men and women whose names are in the catalog of canonized saints, but most of the time we just kind of go to the greats as the saints, right? Like we name our kids after the ones we're familiar with. We pray the novenas on the big feast days, but you love to tell the stories of the unknown holy men and women, and you're writing a book, a couple of them. You've got a children's book coming out, and you've got a, a, a book about saints for, for older people, for adults, although the children's book will be in my bedroom mm-hmm. before my kids get to, get to look at it. But you like to tell these stories of the obscure because, I'm guessing, and I want you to pick up on this, because that almost in some sense kind of gives us comfort that it's not just the Therese's and the Francis's and the Giannas of the world who became famous and holy, in their in their canonization life but but that these ordinary men and women who who were broken and who suffered and who hurt yeah and i mean part of it is that like it's my one hipster thing as i'm like oh you've heard of him oh okay well i'm not into him anymore yeah and i do it's weird like with uh venerable carlo acutis who's about to be beatified or will be beatified by the time this airs i uh People love him now, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, whatever. And I'm like, no, I'm like, he's still awesome, and you still love him. Just because you convinced other people to love him doesn't mean you should be over him. Uh, but part of it is, it's that ordinary holiness. You know, I love Blessed Luigi and Maria Quattrochi, who were an Italian couple, 20th century, four kids. That's it. That's, That's the story. story. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they didn't do anything spectacular. But I think also we have this very limited um, spread of saints that people tend to know and it tends it tends to be people who whose stories are at least told in such a way that it seems like holiness just looks like being sweet and pious and quiet and right mm-hmm. and praying in silence and not making waves and that's not even their stories you know like mm-hmm. how you make saint francis out to be a person <laughs> right. who didn't make waves is just beyond me. But to be able to talk about saints who are black, indigenous, and people of color, to be able to talk about saints who were loud and ridiculous, to talk about saints who struggled with mental illness, disabled saints, saints who were divorced and remarried, you know, all of these things. And to be like, look, we want to have a box that we can put people in and say, these are the holy people and everybody else is outside, which means that 
all of us are outside. But when you look at what the church has put forward Mm -hmm. as a model, it's thousands upon thousands of saints who live these wildly different lives. And it's deliberate to say, look, if you're a single mom, there's a saint for that, right? If you're dealing with addiction, there's a saint for that. If you have terrible scruples, there's a saint for that. If you were a, a former seminarian who got married and then committed adultery, there's a saint for that, you know? Like, like literally every, every story can be shot through with grace and transfigured to be a witness of God's goodness and his mercy. And the saints promise us that that's true even in the darkest moments of our lives. Well, and it, it almost gives us no excuse, right? Like, yeah, you can be the ex-seminarian married committing adultery and still get to heaven. It doesn't mean like yeah. that should be what you're striving for necessarily, but like those right. problems, but that in your brokenness, God can still, still do something remarkable. Exactly. So this is my, my tough, oh, go ahead, go ahead. That's St. Michael Hodenhe, if anybody wanted to know but had to ask for a friend. Uh, he's a Vietnamese 19th century Ho, D-I-N-H-H-Y. You just have this catalog in your head, don't you, of like just names, dates, places, their, their faces, because you've got these illustrations coming. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, I am kind of a know-it-all, um, so, so the Lord is Saints using are perfect. that for goodness, exactly. He's like, ooh, you want to know all the things? Great, I'm going to make that impossible. And so this is one thing I'm excited about in heaven, is to run up to them and be like, oh my gosh, St. Mary of Egypt, I need to know about your childhood, like, I need to know, because it's not in the stories, and I have been wondering, like, what compels a person to make the choices that you made, like, yeah. you may have children listening, so I won't elaborate <laughs> on the choices Mary of Egypt made, but, like, really, like, tell me what was, what was going on there, right, like, and so it's good, because there's so much that I can't know, but also there are so many little things that I can memorize and delight in and tell these stories, and, and it's okay if that's not who you are and the way that you work. Like I'm a mm-hmm. storyteller. I've always been a storyteller. And I used to tell sort of stories that didn't really matter. Just like things that happened in my life. I would tell this story forever. Cause like, that's just the way that I connect to people. And then I discovered the saints and was like, wait a minute, it can be an amazing story and matter. Like, okay. That's I'm a win. In. Exactly. What happens then when a person struggles? So like, I'll tell you what I saw the other day, St. Therese's feast day. And there seems to be this trend right now of like, oh, everybody loves Therese. I'm over her. Kind of like how you said about Carlo a second ago. And it always bugs me because like you said, St. Therese sometimes gets this saccharine, like, oh, she was sweet and she just prayed and she upset the, the, you know, the mean nun. And she's actually quite fierce. And if you read her biography, you know, you find a woman who was dealing with a lot and yet at the same time was still able to strive for holiness. I'm, I'm, you know, going over the story quickly, but there are some saints who have kind of a, a, it's harder to swallow their story or it's harder to feel connected to them. It's okay if you're not connected to every single saint, but what about the ones who have the popularity, the statue, the churches named after them, the children in waves, right? Like I think we're in a Zaley wave right now and uh-huh. we're going to be in a Carlo wave next, but, but I'm specifically thinking of, and we can just get into it, St. Junipero Serra, who earlier this year was kind of on the chopping block. And so people came to the defense of the statues, but nobody was actually talking about his life. And then when you did get into his life, you do kind of see some gray areas of confusion, even though the work he was doing was was for the conversion of souls, but there's this question around how that work was done. What do we do with that? What do we do with these stories that are confusing and hard to swallow by 2020 standards or even back then? Yeah, Junipero Serra, 
is a tricky one. He's mm-hmm. a really tricky one because it's very easy, I think, for Catholics' knee-jerk reaction to the attack of Catholic things. You can't see my air quotes right now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is things being attacked because they're Catholic, and sometimes it's things being attacked because there's really something wrong there, mm-hmm. right? And so we, we respond as though we're being persecuted when that's not necessarily what's going on. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. But we, we react really strongly uh, because we want to defend our faith, and that's beautiful. But I think it's really important, especially in issues surrounding racism and colonization, to ask, like, what is what are people really taking issue with here? Are they taking issue with a man who was trying to draw people to Jesus because he loved them? Are they taking issue with the fact that he infantilized these people and didn't believe that they had real agency to make their own decisions? And, you know, some of that is very much because he's a product of his time, but we have other historical figures and other saints who were able to recognize the uh, the agency. You know, like, he understood their personhood, he understood their dignity, but he... He really just thought, like, they're basically children, and I need, I need to be their dad. And mm-hmm. that, for us in the 21st century, should be upsetting, mm-hmm. that a person would say, this whole race can't understand, and they need to be, treat like, need to be treated like children so that we can save them. That, that should be troubling. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make him a bad person. Mm-hmm. And even when we find these <laughs> saint stories where somebody was a bad person, right? Like, we have saints who were bad people. We have saints who were mass murderers and saints who were satanic high priests. We are, when we're canonizing them, we're obviously not saying everything they did was good. And so we can understand this when there's like a breaking point and a conversion. Mm -hmm. I think it's much harder to understand when people's bad behavior, racist behavior was a part of their post-conversion life. Mm. And that's that's what's going on with Junipero Serra. We've got issues like that with St. Louis, the King of France. We've got issues like that actually with a lot of saints, where because they're saints, we think we have to say, oh, everything he did was good, which means if he treated people in this way, that was good. No, that's not what canonization means. Canonization means this person is in heaven. It doesn't mean everything he ever did was okay. And as Catholics, we always have this both and. Right? Mm-hmm. Where unless it's Jesus or Mary, like this person is both sinner and saint. And so to mm-hmm. look at St. John Paul and say, he's amazing, he's incredible, he should have handled the abuse crisis better. Mm-hmm. Right? To look at St. Rose of Lima and say, she's amazing, she's beautiful, self harm because you hate yourself for being beautiful is not a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to embrace that in order to love her. It's also okay to say, like, that saint is just not my friend. Right. And, and that's, like, that's okay. You can have acquaintances in the body of Christ. That's fine. <laughs> but I think it's a really, it's an important thing in Catholic maturity to be able to look at some of these saints and say, these parts of their story make me uncomfortable because they were wrong. And maybe this person was doing the best they could, and maybe they really weren't. Maybe they mm-hmm. should have been able to do better but they were seeking holiness even in their failure. That's why Jerome is so amazing because he was just awful. Like he was so angry and Mm -hmm. bitter and awful all the time, but it was the fighting against that Mm -hmm. that made him a saint. And so to be able to have this nuance and say sometimes like this thing they did, I can't understand, but I know that it was holy. And other times this thing they did was not holy and it should Mm. not be imitated because it does not give glory to God. Mm. That's, I mean, they, these people were able to be awful 
and yet still be holy. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. we should just be okay with awfulness, but it does, it does give some comfort, I think, that the brokenness of a saint means that my brokenness can be redeemed in some sense too. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Meg Hunter-Kilmer. You can learn more about her. There's links down in the show notes. In the next half of this episode, Meg's going to tell us a little bit about her new book about the saints around the world. And you can, of course, find all of the other awesome links to the incredible content we're creating for Ave Explorers over at AveMariaPress.com. We hope that you check that all out. Sign up to get the weekly emails and learn even more about the saints that Meg is teaching us about today. You, you know these people, um, the broken saint stories are, are ones that I've, I've seen you tell. Um, who is one that you think is really relevant for maybe the year 2020 or just like kind of this particular moment where many of us are homebound or frustrated and struggling and confused, upset about the election, uh, lonely and missing our families? Like who, what saint for this broken time could we maybe yeah. turn to? You know, there's a pair that I've really been enamored of recently. St. Oscar Romero, who most people probably know as the Archbishop of San Salvador in the 1970s, and his friend, Venerable Rutilio Grande, who's likely to be beatified in the next six months or so. He was officially declared um, a martyr, and I think he may have a beatification schedule, but I'm not positive. Uh, they Both of them actually dealt with mental illness. They were um, men living in El Salvador, so Latino men in the early, mid-20th century. Um, Oscar Romero had diagnosed obsessive compulsive disorder, and Rutilio Grande was multiple times hospitalized in mental institutions for nervous breakdowns. Mm. At least one time he experienced catatonic schizophrenia. And this is really beautiful because he was a Jesuit, and it was before his ordination and it would have been very easy for the judges to be like, forget you, like you're broken, we don't want you. But they didn't. They, mm. they knew that he was part of their family, and so they walked with him through his counseling and through his healing. Um, and Rutilio had grown up without both parents. His parents had separated and then both left. He was raised by his grandmother. He lived in deep poverty, and so he had just a lot of these wounds. But they end up, they were both ordained priests, and Oscar was a secular priest, so he was diocesan, and Rutilio was a Jesuit, and they were on totally opposite ends of the spectrum politically. In Latin America, around the time of the Second Vatican Council, when there's obviously Vatican II going on, and like these liturgical reforms, but also some really interesting theology that's happening in Latin America at that time, and Oscar Romero was very conservative, very like, priests should stay in their house, and if the people come to them for sacraments, the people come to them, and Rutilio was very like, get out there in the streets, like do the work, meet people, community, organizing, all of this. And they lived together for a time because Oscar Romero needed a place to live. And so he came to live with the Jesuits and none of the rest of them could stand him. But he and Rutilio developed this really beautiful friendship, mm-hmm. even though they were on completely opposite ends of the political spectrum and both felt very passionately about the position that they had taken. And so seeing their friendship has been really helpful for me to, to see the way that they were able to maintain this relationship, even with uh, that dissonance. And then actually Rutilio was shot for his work with the poor, and it was his body, his death, and the, the viewing of his body that transformed Oscar Romero. He said he went and saw his friend's body, and he said, if they did this to him, I don't have the right anymore not to speak up. And so he had been this very uh, politically disconnected archbishop. He was He was very timid, very bookish. He was actually 
his name was put forward by the government of El Salvador because they were like, this guy won't mess with us. Mm-hmm. And he, he really hadn't been making waves. He was just letting them abuse his people without standing up because he thought, like, this is not my job. And he saw Venerable Rutilio's body, and he was like, this is my job. Mm-hmm. This is all of our job. And that's what made him this great activist. That's what made him this great voice for the voiceless, and that's what ultimately got him killed, too. So seeing mm-hmm. the two of those, the two of them, and and their struggles with mental health, health and their broken families and their differences of politics and of liturgical preferences and of these, this strong sense of what their role is as Catholics in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the way, the way that they influenced and impacted each other and the way really that Rutilio's ability to love Oscar, who was a difficult person, mm-hmm. ultimately led to Oscar being a saint. Mm, I love that. Especially that on opposite ends of a spectrum mm-hmm. when it comes to how, because that's all that disagreement really is. It's, it's not necessarily hatred of the individual. It's hatred of the ideas of the individual. And you can still love the person and potentially even grow in relationship with them. Um, what about if I'm lonely? Who should I talk to if I'm lonely? Oh, there are so many. <laughs> um, I think... I think I want to mention um, Daphros Rugamba because she, so Servant of God, Cyprian and Daphros Rugamba, they're a Rwandan couple in the 20th century. They are two very dear friends of mine. Um, and I think Daphros is, no, I do that. I know, I love that. I love that. <laughs> so Cyprian was a seminarian, um, different seminarian who got married and was in Delta. <laughs> Michael Hoden, he stayed Catholic the whole time. Cyprian did not. So Cyprian, former seminarian, had a really ugly time in seminary, became an atheist, uh, was engaged to Defros' cousin, but she died. Mm-hmm. And so he had an obligation to the family, so he married Defros. So Cyprian is like sort of dabbling in some paganism and very anti-Catholic. Defros is like a rosary-praying daily communicant, and they get married, and they had just this miserable marriage. They lost their first baby to miscarriage. When their second baby was born, a few months later, Cyprian took the baby and kicked Daphros out and accused her of witchcraft. Eventually, they were reconciled. They had 10 children together. He had 11 because he had at least one extramarital affair. And so the loneliness, I think, for Daphros of being surrounded by people, you know, whether or not you're married, I think a lot of us often feel, at least outside of pandemic times, that we're surrounded by people, you know, like you're going to church and there are all these people and maybe they don't even know your name or maybe they know your name, but they don't know your struggle. Maybe you've got a spouse and a lot of children and you still feel lonely in that. Um, even if, even if you feel completely divorced from other people physically, you've got these people who know you on social media, right? But they, but they don't. And, and so that loneliness of feeling like you, you shouldn't feel lonely. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really powerful one. And obviously there are other saints for people who really are very, very alone, physically alone, spiritually alone, who don't have that. But I think a lot of us feel that we oughtn't to feel lonely because we have so many people around us. But it's it's just a natural experience of mm-hmm. the separation from the divine that we have in our sin, right? Um, anyway, so they... Daphros kept trying to love Cyprian. He kept being awful. Like literally one time she had just had a baby. He came into the hospital room, saw a crucifix and smashed it on the ground. Like Mm. that's how much this man hated the church. He was also like a brilliant choreographer and composer and a musician and dancer. He was really leading the revival of 
Rwandan culture in this post-colonial period. Um, but eventually, after they'd been married for, I think, about 20 years, he got very, very sick. Uh, and he had this enormous conversion and then a miraculous healing. And he realized in, in all of this that Daphros was the one who had been there the one mm. who had stayed by his side. And he became this incredibly holy man. Their marriage was totally renewed. Every picture that you see of them, she is gazing at him like the sun rises and sets on this man. So to see her forgiveness mm-hmm. of him in that, they ended up being a huge force in the renewal of the church in Rwanda. And actually, he was an outspoken advocate against ethnic hatred, mm. which... Um, in Mm -hmm. the early 90s in Rwanda was absolutely out of control. And because of his advocacy, his name was put at the top of the kill list when the genocide Mm -hmm. began. So on the first full day of the genocide, he and Daphros and six of their children were murdered. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's such a powerful witness, I think, especially for Rwanda, him, her of forgiving him, right? And the incredible grace that that took to have that level of mercy, that renewal in their marriage and him of seeking that forgiveness mm-hmm. of asking and, and receiving her mercy and not then groveling at her feet for the rest of their marriage. But I think both of them experienced a lot of loneliness in this period beforehand. And both of them experienced a lot of, a lot of healing. And that isn't always what happens, mm-hmm. right? And I like the saints also who, are just miserable and then they die. You know, like I said with Leopold Mandich, because because it's so easy to look at the stories of the saints and be like, ah, look, she was good and then she got what she wanted. Like, that's how God works. And that's not how God works. Like, the way that God works is the cross. And sometimes your prayers are answered. And sometimes you experience this fulfillment of your desire. And sometimes you don't, but God is still good. Mm -hmm. And he is still with you. And the cross still saves even when you feel like you spend your whole life hanging on it. Mm-hmm. I am struck by um, this idea that, well, you're miserable, then you die. <laughs> or, you know, you're good and you get what you want. Sometimes kind of seems to be the, the two perspectives of, of the Christian life. Sometimes it's pretty mundane and boring, though. Like you mentioned that couple earlier, they had four kids, they they were married and that's their story, right? Like we always resort to Zaylee and, and um, Louie who ran a business and had these holy children. And it's like, absolutely. Or you just have four kids and you live in the burbs and you go to work and you save your money. And yet you're still a remarkably holy individual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, 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 it's the nuance and the variety. You're working on a book about this, right? You're working on a children's book about the saints. Yes, which should be out before the end of the year, God willing. Um, it's amazing. It's a hundred different stories from 67 different countries. Oh, cool. And so it's showing people, it's more than half black, indigenous, and people of color. Um, a lot of saints with physical disabilities, with intellectual dif- disabilities, saints who were divorced, saints whose parents were never married, saints who were abused, saints who lived in fear, saints who experienced extreme spiritual darkness. I mean, for children, right? Like I was, I was reading the, the audio book, um, and I finished Mother Teresa and the editor of the audio book just looks at me and he goes, so dark night of the soul for preschoolers. And I was like, I mean, yeah, because children struggle with that and they feel like they don't hear things in prayer. And so they feel like they must just be bad Catholics. Like, and they're often, they're scared to talk to their parents about it because mm-hmm. parents want to talk about how good Jesus is and he loves you. And kids are like, well, I don't feel that there must be something wrong with me. And so to talk about these things, to talk about abuse and to talk about boundaries and to talk, and it's not, 
as heavy as it sounds, and I sent it to like people who deal with trauma with children to make sure that we're not because that's the thing that St. Books you don't do want to trigger right? anybody. Is they yeah. traumatize children, like they really do. You read Margaretti and you're like, never okay again. Um, and so we're being very careful. It's all it's light and it's beautiful, but it's talking about real things and initiating these conversations. And it's a children's book, but I really think it's for adults too. Mm. I mean, I think that of the hundred stories in this book, you've maybe heard of 15 of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really like, and not just because I'm obnoxious like that and a hipster, but also because it's so important to see the universality of the church. Right. And so I wanted, I wanted a saint from Papua New Guinea and I wanted a saint from Iceland and I found a missionary to Indonesia and I want to show the, the universality of the church in this map that's like the guiding document of this book. So you open it up and here's this map that has numbers so you can go and see where everybody was. Um, but also just to see like some of these really ordinary saints who lived mm-hmm. very ordinary lives. Blessed Benedict Daswa was a South African husband, father of eight, soccer coach, did dishes, worked in his garden. He ended up being martyred, but it wasn't like years of persecution. It Like it was mm-hmm. years of ordinary life and putting on his tie and going and being a principal at the school and picking up kids whose parents wouldn't bother driving them and just like normal mm-hmm. ordinary things and it's it's so powerful I think to to witness that we had an episode with Tim O'Malley in last season and he mentioned how he often reminds his students that like most of your life is pretty boring and you just kind of have to be okay with that and like there's moments of hardship and there's moments of remarkable joy but but it's pretty even keeled, like, okay, this is just my life. And I, I think it's great comfort to see the brokenness, to see the extremes, but to also see the ordinary. Here at the end, Meg, we ask every guest this season the same question, um, same two questions. Who's your kind of current saintly best friend? And I know you've got an answer to that. Um, and then also, who do you want to get to know more in the coming year? Now, like you said, there's never... You'll never know it all, but I, you know most of it. So I'm curious. I'm really curious <laughs> to see what your answer is there. But who do you want to get to know? In or who who are you close to right now? So my current best friend is Blessed Peter Kibay. I have I have two really. It's Saint Barnabas and Blessed Peter Kibay. Saint Barnabas is just like you know the one who's like known you forever. And he's, he's your like papa. You. Yeah, and, yeah. And Blessed Peter Kibay is the one who's like, come on, girl. Like you got like you got to be better than this, right? Barnabas is like, you're doing great, and Kibay's like, is she though? so he just really briefly he was um a japanese man in the 16th and 17th century wanted to become a jesuit the jesuits told him no so he volunteered with them for eight years then they got kicked out of the country he went with them to portuguese macau and china they said we don't ordain japanese people he went to india they said we don't ordain asians he did not give up on the church even though he was dealing with this incredible racism he walked to rome 3700 miles was ordained there, um, took him eight years to get back to Japan. So from when he first asked to be ordained a Jesuit priest until he made it back to Japan, a Jesuit priest was 24 years. Oh my gosh. All the while knowing he was on his way to torture and certain death and he never gave in. So he's really good for me when I want to have a pity party because <laughs> I, I really like pity parties and I'm over here like, I can't walk up and have a flight of steps to church. And he's like, I walked 3,700 miles. And I'm like, okay, yeah, fair point. Fine. Um, just for like determination and like knowing who he was. And I always, I tell a story and I always tell people like, if he lived like that for algebra, he was insane. Mm-hmm. If he lived like that for a political philosophy, he was ridiculous. The only reason that that's a good story is because he lived like that for a love affair. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it's very easy for us to become overwhelmed by the truth of the faith and forget that ultimately the heart of the faith is a person. Mm -hmm. The reason that we're Catholic is this relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And who do you want to get to know? Who do I want to get to know? I don't know, Katie. I kind of like get to know all of them. I know. That's what I'm saying. But who's like on your list to research next? I, I've been thinking a lot about Francis Xavier Cabrini lately, which is funny. Yeah, that's that's the hospital I had Claire in. There you go. Um, I have not been able to find enough information about her experience of fear. So Mm. she had a real fear of the ocean. Um, And so when the Pope told her he wanted her to go to the United States and work with the Italian immigrants there, she was like, that's terrifying. You have to take a boat. She ended up crossing the Atlantic Ocean 25 times. But I haven't been able to find out whether that fear was just relieved, like she had, she overcame it and then she was good, or whether every time she got on a ship, she was like, here we go, this is how I die. Mm-hmm. Um, and like for her sake, I hope it was the former, but for our sake, I hope it was the latter. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's, I think it's a really important thing for us to recognize that fear is not an indication of a lack of faith mm. and that the Lord is working in that fear and he's working sometimes in not alleviating it and mm-hmm. saying, look, I'm not going to make you not scared, but I'm going to stand right here next to you so that you have someone to cling to. Mm-hmm. You know, that image, especially during that, the pandemic, the image for me that's been so strong, there's a, a poem that St. Therese wrote. And one translation of one of the lines is, um, Jesus, you may sleep in my boat. I will not wake you. Mm. And the image for me is not of standing on the um, deck of the boat, bailing water and, and dealing with all of the ropes and the sails and all the things that I would be so bad at. Like my image is the storm is overwhelming. I'm not going to wake him, but I just like crawl down in, into the hold where he is. I don't know if these are the right words. I don't know the things about boats and, and just like curling up next to him and being like, I can't fall asleep through this. I'm not going to wake you up, but I'm also not going to let go of you because the only place that I can feel safe, regardless of what's going on around me, like, because I can't fix that, but Mm -hmm. I can hang on to you and I can trust that you care, right? Mm -hmm. The disciples said, Lord, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? Like I, I can trust that you care. And if I come mm-hmm. somehow that it wakes you up and you stop the storm, like, hey, so be it. That's great. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to shake you awake. I'm just going to cling. And, mm-hmm. I, and I get the feeling that that's what Francis Xavier Cabrini was doing. Mm-hmm. But my research hasn't yet been able find to it. figure out <laughs> where the fear is in all of that. She also died of exhaustion while wrapping Christmas presents for orphans, which I feel like, <laughs> what a way to go, right? <laughs> like, yeah. All that, all that, that's awesome. I didn't know any of that, of the namesake of the hospital where Claire was born. So it's, it's I'm learning so much. Uh, Meg, where can we buy that book and find out more about you? So um, the book should be available for pre-order in the next several weeks. God willing. Or I guess maybe by the time this comes out, it'll already be available. If you go, you Google Hobo for Christ, you'll find me. And mm-hmm. you can find all of my social media on my webpage. Or you can find me on Instagram at mhunterkilmer. I guarantee I will be talking about this book nonstop once it's available on Instagram. It's through Emmaus Road Press, um, and they've been just wonderful to work with. So you can probably find the pre-order on their website as well. Awesome. Well, we'll find that and have that all in the show notes. Thanks so much for taking the time, Meg. Such a joy, Katie, always. 
you know, Meg talked a little bit in this episode about how she loves to, quote unquote, matchmake people with the saints and kind of give them a saint for a scenario and how powerful that can be. When Meg stayed with us about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I don't know the timeline. What is time anymore, right? Um, but she stayed with us, and you know, one night after we'd put Rose to bed, we're all sitting around enjoying a bottle of wine, visiting, and my husband was venting a little bit about how frustrated he was with some things going on in the classroom and how he was having a hard time transitioning to, to different aspects of, of classroom management, and you know, Meg did what Meg does. She looked at him and said, you should look up the story of, and she rattled off a saint. And later that night, as my husband and I were getting ready for bed, he, you know, Googled that saint and was reading up about them and, and you know, grew to love this particular individual, St. Joseph of Cupertino, who's actually the patron saint of test takers, but became a, a good buddy of my husband's, so to speak. Because again, saints can become friend friends. They can become real friends of our life to the point where we name our children after them, to the point where we hang their photos in our home where we tell their stories as if they are people that have come over for dinner before. Meg's book, uh, Saints Around the World, I've actually had the privilege of seeing um, some preview pages of, and it's incredible and wonderful, and I really hope that you grab a copy when that's available. We've got a link down in the show notes giving you a little bit more information about it, as well as um, more information on how you can subscribe to all of this content that we are creating about the saints. You know, just kind of here at the end to give you a little bit of a preview of what's coming, you know, this Saint series, we really wanted to take a well-rounded look and have these really good conversations with real people about their faith. Uh, later on this week, we have a conversation with Carriana Frey. Uh, she's an, an excellent author and writer. Um, she gives us some insight into liturgical living and ways that we can bring the lives of the saints into what we do in our faith life with our family. Next week, we're talking to Father Robert Boxy III and Gloria Purvis about diversity when we talk about the saints. And then the week after that, we have an excellent conversation with Father David Marcham about the cause for canonization of Father Peyton, the, the priest known for saying the family that prays together stays together, as well as a conversation with Ave author Lisa Hendy about how to talk about the saints with, with kids and encourage them to seek sanctity. That's what's coming up in our podcast season. There's even more going on at AveMariaPress.com. I hope you go check it out. I hope you subscribe. I hope you enjoy everything that we're creating for you to live your faith better every day. Thanks for listening this week to Ave Explorers. We'll see you soon.